0: Please turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. This is a very important chapter for every follower of Jesus because in these words, the Apostle Paul shouts, just look at who you are as an adopted child of God. And then Paul supplies a long list of truths about the believer's self-identity. And today, we study the self-identity truth that is at the top of Paul's long list. The truth is that if you are a child of God, you were personally chosen by God. Now, we know that this truth is at the top of Paul's long list because in the first 14 verses of chapter 1, Paul mentions God choosing his people At least 20 times in 10 different ways. In previous weeks, I indicated that uh, verses 3 to 14 is one long sentence in the original Greek, which means that Paul alludes to God's choosing believers in 10 different ways. In one sentence. So, as I read these 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1, see if you can identify the 10 different ways that Paul teaches that the believer is chosen by God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, God predestined us to be adopted as His children through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made his glory and you also were included in christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having believed you were marked within him with a seal the promised holy spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are god's possession to the praise of his glory did you notice the 10 different ways that paul teaches that believers are chosen by god So let's start. Let's start with the first and most obvious way that Paul alludes to the idea that believers are chosen by God by using that exact word twice in verse four. Paul writes for God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. And then in verse 11, Paul writes in him, we were also chosen. Chosen. The second way that Paul alludes to the idea that God chooses His people is by the twofold use of the word predestined in verse five and eleven. Paul affirms that in love, God predestined us to be adopted as His children. Now, this concept of predestination is an, is even stronger language, if possible, than the idea of choosing. Predestination refers to God's manipulating circumstance and situation so that a particular outcome is a guaranteed certainty. So not only does God choose those who become his children, but God prearranges events in their lives so that this particular outcome is a guaranteed certainty. They become the children of God. Paul uses the word chosen and predestined, and these are obvious ways that uh, Ephesians 1 emphasizes the truth that God chooses his people. For a less obvious example, let's go to verse 1. Verse 1 and the word Saints. Paul addresses his letter to the saints uh, in Ephesus. The word saint is a biblical word that does not mean a special person who is extra good or extra holy. No, in the Bible, the word saint means a person who has been chosen and set apart by God. So, the third way that Paul alludes to God choosing people is by referring to all believers as saints. Those who have been chosen and set apart. By God now let 's pick up a little speed. The fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh ways that god uh, that Paul alludes to god's choosing his people is by the repeated use of god 's pleasure god 's will god 's purpose, and god 's plan. We become god 's children in accordance with god's pleasure, which is mentioned twice in, in verses uh, five and nine and then god 's will is mentioned. Four times, uh, verse 1, 5, 9, and 11. God's purpose, he mentions twice in 9 and 11, and then God's plan. God's plan is mentioned in verse 11. So in this one long Greek sentence, Paul refers to God's pleasure, God's will, God's purpose and plan nine times to affirm and then reaffirm and reaffirm that we become God's children by God's decision and God's choice. The eighth and ninth ways that Paul alludes to God's choosing power is by his reference to a pair of related words, which he mentions twice each. God's grace in verses 6 and 7 and God's glory in verses 12 and 14. Grace is a biblical word that refers to how God chooses to accept people who have chosen to reject Him. How God chooses to love people who have chosen to be unloving toward Him in sin. And how God chooses to forgive people who don't deserve His forgiveness. Now then there's God's glory. God's glory is a biblical word for God's radiant beauty and perfect personality. And in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul connects God's glory to God's grace. Paul explains that God's glorious personality is seen in his beautiful grace toward people who don't deserve his love and forgiveness. God's grace is God's glory because it is a function of his Choice, His personal choice. God's grace is glorious because while I was still lost and dirty and far away from God, God chose me to be his child. Which leads us to the tenth and most picturesque way Paul alludes to God's choosing his people. It's the central image of this chapter wrapped up in that one word, adopted. In verse 5, Paul writes, In love, God predestined us to be adopted as His children through Jesus Christ. Now, in previous weeks, we've discussed how first century adoptions usually involved war orphans who were distributed around the Roman Empire through the institution of slavery and how sometimes a householder would redeem a slave child by paying his purchase price, setting him free, and then adopting him as a son instead of a slave. Well, today, let's add one more unique aspect to the adoption uh, concept in Paul's day. In Greco-Roman context, the only choosing party in the adoption process was the adoptive parent. In the first century, the father chose to initiate the adoption process. The father chose the child he wanted to adopt. And the father made that chosen child his son or daughter. Today, you know, we have... Uh, a, Adoption agencies and government officials who sometimes leave parents with few, if any, choices in the adoption process. But that was not the case in Paul's day. When Paul says that I am an adopted child of God, he means that God the Father personally chose to pay the price to set me free, and he personally chose me to adopt me as his son. So there you go. In one sentence, Paul mentions God's choosing believers at least 20 times in 10 different ways. Uh, And I think I know why God inspired Paul to emphasize and reemphasize this truth. I think God inspired Paul to drive home this truth because... There are at least three internal obstacles that make it hard for me to really accept and embrace this truth. God inspired Paul to overstress my chosenness to overcome the obstacles of my natural disbelief, my human bias, and my selective reading of Scripture. The first obstacle is my natural reluctance to believe that this God who created a sun that could contain a million of our earths, that this God who creates stars that can contain a million of our suns, that this God, I have a natural reluctance to believe that this God would personally choose me to be his adopted child. It seems too good to be true. The second obstacle is my human bias. Now, if I'm a person who ran from God my whole life until my 30th birthday, when a a friend invited me to Black Rock, and I hear this good-looking pastor present the gospel, because the senior pastor was on vacation... uh, (laughs) And I ask God to forgive me of my sins. And Jesus changes my life from the perspective of my human bias. I chose God. God didn't choose me. I chose God. From the perspective of my human bias, I adopted belief in Jesus. Jesus didn't adopt me. And it takes a lot to overcome this bias of my human perspective. But there's a third obstacle, and that is my selective reading of Scripture. There are two grand themes threading through the whole of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. Unfortunately, my human eyes tend to see only one of these two threads. Due to my selective reading of Scripture, the only thread that I see is the biblical theme that teaches the real importance of human choice. In Genesis, I see God putting uh, Adam in front of a tree and saying, do not eat of this tree. But Adam chose, chose wrongly. He chose to disobey. In the book of Joshua, I hear Joshua standing before the nation of Israel saying, Choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. And then in the Gospel of John, I hear Jesus uh, saying to some fishermen, Follow me. And then Peter, James, and John drop their nets and choose to follow Jesus. And then in Revelation, I hear the risen Jesus saying to the church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would choose to open the door, I will come in. This is all true. This is a consistent theme in Scripture, teaching the real importance of my choice in my relationship with God. The biblical teaching is that God gives real people real power to make real choices that have very real consequences. And this is an important theme in the Bible, but it is not the only theme. There is a second thread that goes through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. The theme that God chooses His people. Uh, In Genesis, God's redemption story begins with God choosing Abraham and promising to birth a Savior through his nation to bless the whole world. Uh, Abraham didn't choose God. Abraham didn't do anything to uh, be chosen, to deserve being chosen by God. God just plucked him out and chose Abraham out of all the people on the earth. In Deuteronomy, God calls the people of Israel His chosen ones. That He chose, not because they were better than any other people on earth. God just chose them. And then in the Gospel of John, Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, and the other guys who dropped their fishing nets, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And in that same gospel, Jesus says, of all believers, He says, no one can come to Me unless the Father draws him. And then in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it begins and ends with the risen Jesus referring to His people as His church. Where the Greek word for church means God's called out ones. Jesus affirms over and over again that his church is comprised of select people that God has chosen and called out from the rest of the world. This theme of God choosing his people is a thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation, yet many people miss it. And so God inspires Paul to emphasize this truth 20 times in 10 different ways in one sentence, to overcome my natural disbelief, to overcome my selective reading of Scripture, and to overcome that human bias and the assumption that my conversion was about me choosing God only and not God choosing me. And concerning my human bias, here's what I find as I grow in Christ – I find that as God opens my eyes to the second thread in Scripture, God also opens my eyes to the second thread in my story with God, in my conversion. Uh, as I traveled down the narrow road, uh, <clears throat> more and more, when I look into the rearview mirror, uh, I find that the importance of my choosing God seems to fade more and more. And the importance of God clearly choosing me seems to raise in boldness more and more. When I look into the rearview mirror, I see more and more how God was orchestrating the events of my life so that I would come to Jesus. When I look in the rearview mirror, I see how God brought people, just the right people at the, and the right events at the right time into play And when I look in the rearview mirror, I see how God did the arranging and the orchestrating and the choosing of me. It is so important that I see both threads in Scripture and in my life. Because if I do not see both threads and I don't hold on to both threads, I will fall into error. Hold only the power of human choice, and I run the risk of stealing God's glory in choosing me out of His grace. But hold only on to God's choosing power, and I run the risk of becoming complacent with God's commands, including the command to share the gospel so that others can choose Jesus. But now we're all asking the same big question, aren't we? How can these two threads be true at the same time? Either God chooses me to be His child before the creation of the world, and that's how I come to salvation, or I choose to believe in Jesus, and that leads to my salvation. Both can't be true at the same time, right? Well, not so fast. Uh, I have a solution uh, to this riddle that has plagued Bible scholars for thousands of years. But unfortunately, we've run out of time. So, uh, actually, time, I think, is a key word. Uh, Perhaps time is somehow the answer to this riddle. And Paul points to that solution with his phrase here in verse 4. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world is that time before time was created. Paul refers to the truth that God, our awesome God, is outside of time. God is outside my time-bound way of thinking in terms of before and after and cause and effect. Since God is outside of time, in God's mind, there is no before, after, or cause and effect. From God's perspective, everything, in some mysterious way, is simultaneous. And if that is true, then from God's perspective, His choosing me and my choosing Him are both true. Because they're both simultaneous. And you may say, that may be a resolution in God's mind, but my mind is just getting a headache. Well, uh, I say embrace the headache. I say embrace the mystery. Embrace the truth, the fact that Scripture holds these two truths together, that human choice is real and that God really chooses to adopt each person that becomes his child. Now, we're really running out of time. So uh, before we uh, close, we just need to apply this profound truth briefly. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, it's because God chose me. And this is not just correct theology. This is a life-changing reality. So let me suggest four transformations experienced by the chosen of God. The first transformation is that chosen people experience true self-worth. If the God who creates the planets and the stars has personally chosen me as his adopted child, if I really know this, I can never just hang my head and mutter, Oh, poor me, pity me, woe is me, because I'm a failure and I'm a nobody. No. As a child of God, It is a crime against heaven for me to berate myself, stay down on myself, or doubt my self-worth and the price that was paid for me. The second transformation experienced by the chosen is soul security. In love, God chose me before the creation of the world. That God chose me before the creation of the world means that God chose me before I had a chance to do anything to deserve His love. The fact that God chooses me in love and not because of my performance means that I should have no fear of ever being rejected by God due to what I do or what I don't do. Since I am chosen by God, I can be worry-free with total confidence and security of soul. The third transformation, the chosen experience, is a joyful spirit. Scripture teaches that it is impossible for me to embrace this truth that I I have been chosen by God and still be gloomy, ungrateful, stingy, proud, and arrogant. The children of God are marked by, with unbounding gladness, overwhelming gratitude, constant compassion for others, and generous love and true humility. The last uh, transformation I'll mention is heart worship. There are two threads uh, that run through Scripture. The theme of the reality of human choice and the theme that God chooses his people. The person who holds only to that one thread of human choice cannot have true heart worship. It is impossible to worship with a heart that sings, God, I'm so glad that I was smart enough to choose you. I'm so glad that I made the choice to believe in you. This is not worship. It is impossible to worship with a, with a heart of true gratitude that when you take the cup and the bread of communion and say, I praise me that I chose to believe in you, Jesus. I'm thankful that I made the right choice. This is not worship. No, heart worship is the result of a transformation that I experience when I embrace the truth that I am one of the chosen. Heart worship is singing, God, I thank you for choosing me even when I was lost and dirty and far away from you. Thank you for choosing me when I could never deserve your love. Heart worship is taking the bread and the cup of communion and saying, Jesus, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed that you would die for me to redeem me from slavery so you could adopt me as your child. Thank you for the transforming love that you bestow upon me as one of the chosen.